book of Colossians talked about how Jesus rescues us. Jesus rules and reigns. Last week, Jordan talked about how Jesus reconciles us. And today, we're going to dig in and talk about how Jesus is uh, reveals for us. It's revelatory. Um, but inside of that, as we think about it, I want you to reflect with me on your life. Not in the sense of like look back on what your life has held up to this point, but reflect with me on what your life is and is made of. Because I want to make a proposition this morning that there are a million people in our world that are ready and willing and attempting to sell you on eternal life. A million people wanting to sell you on the idea of eternal life. Be it this idea of impact and legacy, that like you live on beyond when you live. Uh, the, the, it's language like have authority and have influence. Make sure your name lives on far beyond you. Uh, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, they've got a song. I won't encourage you to listen, but it's a, it's a popular song. And it talks about how, uh, how he's heard that you die twice, okay? The first time, it, it, the, the lyric goes, I heard you die twice, once when they bury you in the grave. And the second time is the last time somebody mentions your name. It's a harsh reality for most of us in this room uh, because uh, we want to think that like we're leaving a legacy for our kids, our grandkids, such and such. Uh, but none of us in here founded a country. Like, none of us are George Washington. Uh, we're not going to be remembered. And, little side note, okay, uh, biblically, our country, the United States, for example, is never promised that it is going to exist until Jesus returns. It's not promised. And, and so it's a fallacy. So even when we see, I give the example of George Washington, even when we see uh, someone like, a, oh, everyone knows George Washington, at least in our country. Yeah, but there might be a point in time where people don't. So this idea of eternal life and legacy and memory is a little bit of a red herring and sends us down a, a dangerous path. I think about eternal life in the sense of like, legacy and, and things of that nature. But then there's an increasing movement uh, to, to live as long as you can. If you spend any amount of time on social media, there's all these health gurus, and they're all selling the same idea, but they're all go it's confusing because they all go about it in a thousand different directions. One person's like, only eat eggs, and you'll live till you're 150. And then and you scroll up, and the next person's like, if you want to live to 150, don't touch an egg in your lifetime. It'll kill you. And it's just conflicting messaging with one another. But what they're trying to do is say, your life is so valuable, which it is. Your life is so valuable, you ought to live forever. And the closer we get to death, the more brushes we have with death, uh, we begin to see how fragile our world is around us. It's here today, gone tomorrow. The Bible describes it like a vapor. Like a vapor. I was sick. Uh, you guys knew about my throat deal a few weeks ago. And the Langs let me borrow a, a, a humidifier, not a dehumidifier. 
there's never enough humidity in the air. You're always trying to increase it or decrease it. And I laid it next to my bed because online it said that's one of the things that could help. And uh, my boys were infatuated with it because it's, you fill it full of water and then it's just this plume of what they call smoke uh, that is out in the world, out in my room, <coughs> and Miles specifically, go up and try and like, try and grab it, but can you grab a vapor? No, it's just going to leave you feeling empty, and that's what the Bible says our life is like. So there's a million people trying to sell you on eternal life, trying to say this is the way to live forever, either in reality or through your legacy. It's a million people trying to tell us how to have eternal life. But then there's a million people trying to tell us how to have what Jesus calls an abundant life or life and life to the full. You see it in, in the situations of like, well, you ought to have nice things. You should be fairly comfortable. You ought to travel more and see the world. Come buy this thing. Come buy it and purchase this experience. Have more friends. Go to more social gatherings. Have more parties. Ingest more mind-altering substances. Like Do this, do that. And your life, your life is missing something. And I have the thing that you can plug into that hole in your life that you feel like you're missing. And, and this will be the thing that fulfills the deepest longings of your soul. I talked to you at the beginning of our service about how giving is something uh, in theory I love, but in practice is really hard. I've had some conversations with my boys about how our family, uh, the four of us, have been uh, kind of shaped and, and formed to, to just like, I don't say get whatever we want in the sense of like, there's a lot of things the Chapel family can't go, just go get. Uh, but there's a lot of things. If you look at our Amazon purchase history and you look at our, our debit card statements, we're fine. We're not uncomfortable. Uh, and and I've, I've told my boys time and time again that the lie that our family's believing is that there's going to be a thing or an experience that's going to lead to satisfying those deepest longings of our souls. We can't go into Target without me and the boys going in seven different directions going, I mean, this is pretty cool, right? This is pr- we probably ought to get this, this new board game, this new toy, this new, you fill in the blank. Uh, <clears throat> it's a struggle for us. But the reality is when we take a step back, everything that we think is going to provide some sort of substantive meaning to our life will ultimately fail us. Possessions are going to break. What happens when you've traveled the world and you've seen all the seven wonders, you've seen every continent, you've done it all, what's next? What are you supposed to do with, with the next portion of your life? You know what flies out the window, the bedside, the hospital, the end of life? Possessions, to some extent, experiences. All the things that we try and plug into our souls to fulfill and discover the mystery ultimately leaves us wanting more. If this wasn't the case, every billionaire at the end of their life 
would be, or the end of a loved one's life, wouldn't mourn because they'd be like, I'm, I'm kind of sad. Got everything taken care of. But this isn't the case. And I think it's a, it's a human experience that people are trying to sell us eternal life and people are trying to sell us a, an abundant life. And sometimes at the same time. But the reality is it is a shared human experience that we want our lives to belong to and matter for something more. So we throw ourselves into our work. We throw ourselves into relationships. We throw ourselves into experiences. We throw ourselves into possessions. Whatever we can think of to try and fill the void in our lives, to fill in these gaps of longing that we have. I think I've told you guys this before, but Ronald Rollheiser, <coughs> author and theologian, calls, calls this gap in longing a nostalgia for eternity. A nostalgia for eternity. This deep sense that there's something that we're made for, that we're not experiencing here and now, but that we long for on the other side of this. <coughs> and that's the summary of our lives. We walk through life trying to piece together some semblance of meaning, but it doesn't always clear to us how to do it. How do we get fulfilled? And precisely because of this ambiguity, it is rather mysterious to us. <coughs> and that's where we pick up our text today. It's going to be in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse uh, 24. Because the church in Colossae was, was trying to answer some of these same questions. Like I said, this is a shared human experience. This is not isolated to 2023 in our time and our, our age. Every generation throughout history has dealt with these questions. It's humans trying their best, as Paul, the language Paul's going to use, to solve this mystery. We've talked about it a couple times, but there's, there's a couple primary ways that the church of Colossae was going about solving these mysteries of how, okay, what's the meaning of our lives? What's the purpose of our lives? How are we supposed to discover who God is in the midst of this? And there was a couple ways they went about this. And there was a group of them that was trying to experience themselves, themselves, experience themselves into the mysteries of God. That maybe, maybe if we like have this uber spiritual experience, where it just feels like the veil between heaven and earth is really, really thin, and we get to experience all these things. Maybe if we, if we logic and reason ourselves, if we use our God-given minds, we can just kind of uh, use the philosophies of the day and age, and we can come up with, with what it looks like to encounter God. Maybe if we have these spiritual experiences, maybe if we live enough, maybe if we seek the greatest philosophers, then maybe we can kind of turn a corner on this mystery and discover it is how it is to, to fulfill the deepest longing of our souls, how to reconnect with God. If we have enough spiritual experience, if we live enough, seek these guys. But the reality is, it, it seems like in a lot of cases, that veil might get thin, but it, it never breaks all the way through. And so we are on this treadmill of chasing and chasing and chasing. And new logic and new reason isn't enough for us. And so we read all the latest books and we listen to all these podcasts and we go to all these conferences and we do all of this stuff and it leaves us empty and wanting more because we can never, our appetites are far, far more voracious than anything in the world can fulfill. So we're left wanting more and more and more. 
Then there was a group in the Church of Colossae that was, uh, so you got this group that was trying to experience their way into understanding the mystery of God. And then there's this other group that tries to live their way into understanding the mystery of God. And here's what I mean by that. They, they, they were thinking in their brains, like, what if we did all of the right things? What if we upheld the, the Jewish law? What if we had no strikes, no faults against us? What if we did everything right? If we have this certain uh, white knuckle morality where we just try and will ourselves into doing the right thing morally every single time without fail? <clears throat> what if we're better than the people, this is dangerous logic, but what if we're better than the people all around us? Maybe then we can kind of turn the corner on this mystery and understand who God is and how he's wanting to interact with us. <clears throat> but just like trying to experience your way into understanding the mystery of God, trying to live your way into understanding the mystery of God leaves us on a treadmill of trying and exertion and trying and eventually, no matter how long you keep it up, at some point, in your humanness and in your frailty, we are going to drop the ball. It's just going to happen. So you can maybe piece together a really moral, a really good week. I'm putting that in quotes because, yeah, you might outwardly do all the right things, but I guarantee you there's stuff festering deep within. But at some point, you're just going to be exhausted of trying and trying and trying and over here trying and trying and trying, and it's going to leave you feeling empty. And so here's what Paul says to the church in Colossae and what Paul says to us. <clears throat> now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what's still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission of God that he gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that's been kept for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He, being Jesus, is the one we proclaim and admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I, strain, I, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and those in Laodicea, for those who have not met me personally. My goal, here's what it says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches and complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom of knowledge. <clears throat> so Paul, talking to these groups of people, talking to us this morning, says very clearly and simply, the mystery that's been disclosed for a really long time. It feels like there's been this ambiguity for all of human history of like, there's a God, okay, how does he interact with these people? And people are constantly trying to figure that out. That's what we just talked about. And Paul says super clearly, here's what I'm contending with. The mystery that you're searching after, the mystery you're looking uh, to the answer for, here's what it is. It's Christ living in us, the hope of glory. Paul implores his listeners, them and us, 
that while we're out there searching, wandering, wondering, how can we discover God? How can we discover something far more transcendent than the every days of life? Paul is saying it's not something that's out there externally in the world that's going to fulfill you. Those are all good gifts of God's grace, but it's not. It's going to leave you wanting. The mystery now revealed is Christ in us. <clears throat> Christ in us. So while humanity's going out uh, searching for the answer, Paul's saying it's something that just kind of happens to you. When you engage in surrender to the God of the universe, the God that made all things, the God that's wanting to be in relationship with each and every one of us, when you engage in surrender, that's all that it takes. You don't have to constantly be on these treadmills of trying and wanting and wandering and, and searching, but instead it's, it's just opening up your hands and going, Jesus, I need you in my life. <coughs> he says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. For a first century listener, glory would have referred to that time where, where the humanity, the world that we see around us was reconnected and brought back into open and public relationship with the creator of all things. So Paul's saying Christ in you, the hope of glory what he's saying is the mystery that everyone's wondering about, that generation, the Jewish people and the people in the Church of Colossae and the people are still wondering today, how do we discover who God is? How do we have meaning and purpose in life? <clears throat> Paul's saying the mystery is Christ in you, Jesus living in your life, actively surrendered to him and letting him dictate how you live, the things you say, the things you think, all of that. And because Christ lives in us, we have an opportunity to be reconciled, brought back into right relationship, and then uh, in eternity, be brought back into open relationship fully, freely, and forever with the God of creation. And Jesus is the revealer of this hope. That for generations upon generations, people were kind of like wringing their hands a little bit, like, okay, God promised a Messiah God promised that he's going to send someone to make the world right again. He, he promised he would, and Paul's saying he did. He did. It's Jesus. Because of the, like we talked about on week one, the rescue plan of Jesus, we can know life. We can know what it's like to commune with God. He reiterates the point when we go uh, on to chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. He says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in, your heart and, in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches and complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. <clears throat> Paul's heart here is to direct us to an understanding of and maturity in the gospel message of Jesus. And an understanding of and maturity in the mystery of God. And what is that mystery? Christ. What is the Christ? Christ is the promised Messiah. It's not Jesus' last name. It's the promised Messiah. That at some point, God said, I'm going to send a Christ. 
one who is going to come and redeem uh, the people of Israel, one that's going to come and redeem the Gentiles, which is everybody else, one that's going to come and redeem all of creation. And who was that promised Messiah? Jesus. And who was Jesus? Jesus was God made flesh, dwelling among us, redeeming all of creation, bringing heaven to earth, rescuing us, reigning over us, and loving us as the mighty and good and gracious king that he is. So what's it about? What's the mystery? It's Jesus. I love how Peterson translates the the part we just looked at in chapter 1. The mystery in a nutshell is this, Christ in you. So therefore, you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. That's the substance of our message. We preach Christ, wanting people not to add to the message. We teach in a spirit of a a profound common sense that we can bring each person to maturity. To be mature is to be basic. Christ, no more, no less. Which, would, which ought to make us a little bit wary as Jesus followers when people try and pile on to the message. It's Christ. Christ living in us. No more, no less. There is no other name in heaven, on earth, by which we can experience salvation. There is no other thing that will solve the deepest longings of our soul. There is no other thing that's going to be able to fill in the gaps and get us on the treadmill aside from Jesus. Peterson says, Christ, no more, no less. There is no possession that you can go today and buy that is going to give you hope beyond this world. There is no belief that you can maintain aside from a belief in Jesus that's going to give you hope in this life and beyond this world. There is no spiritual experience you can have, no matter how many conferences you go to, no matter how many Bible studies you do, uh, no matter how many whatever, you fill in the blanks that, that you engage with. Beyond Jesus, that is going to be able to uphold and sustain the weight of life's experiences. There is no right amount of morality, like if I do all of the right things, that's going to be able to fulfill that deepest longing of your soul. There is no political party on either side of the aisle that at the end of the day is going to be able to fulfill the deepest longings of your soul. There is no family, there is no person, there is no thing aside from Jesus that will be enough to fill in that gap in you. When the world seems mysterious and God seems distant, and you're like, I don't know what any of this means. I don't know how to engage with all of this. Paul's pointing us back to the answer. Uh, The mystery is this, Christ in us, the hope of glory. The mystery is this, that Jesus became flesh, dwelt among us, redeems all of creation through his uh, life, death, and resurrection, and now invites us into a loving relationship with him. Jesus living in us, which happens at the moment of surrender, the moment you raise your hands up and say, I can't do this anymore. Jesus living in us is the only thing that gives us the hope of glory, the hope that on the other side of this life, fully, freely, and forever. 
We will get to dwell with God. We get to worship God. And for those of you who are like, I don't know if I want to sit around forever and and like sing songs to God. That sounds a little bit boring. Let's, let's expand our brains a little bit. Yeah, well, this is a great thing that we do to worship through song. Song does something for us. But there are so many more ways that we can worship God forever and ever and ever. This isn't me, gentlemen. But how many, I won't relegate it to just gentlemen. How many of you just like like time in the woods? Like you just want to go out and be in nature and you're like, that's, that's a, I was hoping, Jared, that I, if you wouldn't, I was, if you didn't raise your hand, Jeremiah, I was going to call your bluff. But anybody else just like, I like being outside. Sarah, you like being outside? Betsy, Larissa, of course, Larissa, yeah. What, what if for eternity you get to enjoy God's presence and like, oh, look at this flower. Look at that giant buck. Look at, you fill in the blank of whatever it is. You get to enjoy God's presence because God is there and there's no, there's no veil that gets thinner or thicker or whatever. Like, we're just there in God's presence. Think about this for me. What's, <clears throat> what's the best, not looking for answers in this moment, rhetorical, what's the best bite of food you've ever taken? What's the best bite of food you've ever taken? Think about it for me. There's a few that come to mind for me. There's a place in Winona Lake, Indiana, where uh, Grace Theological Seminary is. Uh, there's a bite of sushi there that... It's good. Ironically, just down the road in Warsaw, Indiana, which Warsaw and Winona Lake run together, there's another place. I don't do dairy. There's this restaurant called Ruah. They do street foods from around the world. I've got this farmer's cheese, olives. I think it's probably the third time I've talked about this farmer's cheese in the pulpit. So there's something holy about it. They've perfected that bite of food. Every bite in eternity is going to be the best bite of food you've ever had because God's presence is going to be there forever. And there's nothing that's going to separate us from him. And so in whatever way your soul begins to come alive and recognize God's presence in your life, imagine that for all of eternity. And what is the gap between what we experience now and how things seem really mysterious and confusing and hard and the best of life has to offer always and forever? What's the gap between those two things? It's Jesus living in us. Jesus living in us. And that is the hope of glory that we maintain. And when we surrender our lives to him, no matter what may come, no matter what happens, no matter how the world fails and falls around us, that we have a hope that, that everything's going to be okay because Jesus is with us. There is no greater good. There is no better thing. Jesus living in us. That when the world begins to fail around us and, and the weight of expectation we put on thing A or thing B or person A or person B and they start to crumble and fail and, and you're just disappointed that Jesus living in us is <laughs> Our hope. Christ in us, the hope of glory, is the mystery made known to us. So we don't have to wonder anymore. Our world doesn't have to wonder anymore. 
But how is God going to redeem all of creation? How are things going to be made right again? How, how, how is everything sad going to become untrue? It's Jesus. Jesus. Jesus living in us is the hope of glory. Then we get to go be conduits of that glory for others to see. God, we are just immensely grateful that you have, as that last song said, that you've condescended to your people. And God, we're grateful for the fact that uh, we don't deserve to be in right relationship with you after we've uh, intentionally walked away from you, but instead you've chosen to bring us back into right relationship with you. And that you have offered something as precious as yourself to take up residence in our life. God, that's mysterious. It doesn't make sense to us, but it doesn't make it any less untrue. And so God, now in this moment, as we proclaim your enoughness in our lives, will you just take over a little bit more of our hearts, a little bit more of our souls, a little bit more of our, of our lives so that we can proclaim that you living in us is our greatest hope. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. Ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.